Geek Nerdery. Player one, press start to play. to episode number nine of the graveyard duck podcast uh this week we are talking splatterhouse uh developed by namco and published by namco as well uh released in japan for the arcade 1988 uh us 1989 also got releases probably most notably for turbografx 16 uh japan and north america in april of 1990 i got a couple other ports after that but i'm sure we'll get to and talk about but uh yeah late 80s very early 90s here for this one so um mm -hmm. yeah kind of right there in the middle of the heyday of retro gaming in my opinion oh absolutely yeah this was uh um uh, sort of the i don't know if it was a launch title of the turbo graphics 16 but it was probably pretty close to uh, the north american launch but uh, uh i'll just get right into it i guess as far as my memories of it um I remember this being sort of the um, sort of the, the edgy, gory game that uh, you couldn't play on Nintendo because of the uh, the sheer amount of violence and gore, uh, you know. And I'd followed this through a lot of the gaming mags at the time, like EGM and um, GamePro and stuff like that. Really, just uh, kind of hyping this game up, and I was really excited to play it. But I didn't have a Turbo Graphics, uh, you know, so it was many years until I actually did play it. But it was always one that I looked forward to as I read about it and just, you know, looked at the graphics and kind of like, wow, this looks like super gory and crazy. So, Yeah, I never had Turbo Graphics growing up. I think I knew one person somewhere that did. I can't even remember, like, exactly how I knew them. Maybe it was mm -hmm. a cousin's babysitter or something like that. But, like, yeah. And I even that one kid on... On my bowling team as a as a kid, I knew one kid that brought his Turbo Express to the bowling alley one time. Nice. I was like, "Wow, it's a Turbo Express! It's huge!" And then <laughs> I never saw it again. Not until I had, I got one in around about ninety seven or ninety eight when I was in college. I went to a I had frequented pawn shops and stuff while I was in college, collected video games and stuff, and that's where I stumbled on a Turbo Express and several games, and then uh, you know, kind of got to relive you know a part of the early 90s where I did, you know, at the time couldn't afford the console, but then had, you know, a little bit more disposable income, I guess. So, Yeah, I do have a little bit of nostalgia for this game, although it was not the Turbo Graphics version. Hmm. Um, I remember it would have been somewhere between like 89, 92, because uh, it's when we lived in Kentucky. And one of my best friends that lived down the street, I don't remember like what connection he had, but I think it was someplace his mom worked, had an arcade in it. Hmm. And she had like every or every now and then would like bring him to work with her. And like there was one day that we didn't have school or something. And so he was like, oh, yeah, you know, come with me. And I'm like, OK. Mm -hmm. And there was one machine there that I remember that was one of those uh, two game 
cabinets uh-huh. and there was just a little toggle switch that switched between the two and it, it was very odd because like you know in the middle of the game you could flip the switch and it would switch over to the other game hmm. um and this particular cabinet had splatter house and adventure island nice and um yeah right huh. um but like I had never heard of either game, but I looked at Spl- or Adventure Island and I was like, oh, this looks fun. Like this is what I'm kind of used to with Nintendo. And mm-hmm. he, he goes straight to it, pumps a couple quarters in and starts playing Splatterhouse. And I just remember like at like eight years old looking at this thing and like thinking this isn't right. Like <laughs> I shouldn't I shouldn't I be playing this. Yeah, and it's like I remember the opening scene of like the house and the lightning. And mm-hmm. then I can remember like some leeches. And the only other thing I remember is at one point seeing that toggle switch and just asked him like, Oh, what does this do? And I like flipped it while he's mid game. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden it switches over to adventure Island and he's just like, no, <laughs> just like, <laughs> that's hilarious. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, the, like the images from this game were just like burned into my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the big muscular guy with the swing a two by four at leeches, uh-huh. um, is the that and the the house with the lightning are the two things that I remember, and it wasn't until um, I think when this came out on the virtual console for the Wii that I was like, oh shit, yes, I I know what this is, and so uh, that game, yeah, yep. so I downloaded it right away and started playing it. So yeah, most of my gaming experience with it has been you know post two thousand, but uh, okay. that one infamous day at the arcade. That's hilarious. Yeah, I, I think it's funny and it. The how you you know kind of mentioned that I think for our you know sort of generation that grew up in the eight bit era and then graduated on the sixteen bit era, we were about the right age for you know seeing a game like this and thinking I don't know if I you know if I should be playing it but I really want to play it because exactly you know what I mean like it's that it was that time of like edgy sort of violent games almost that you know sort of begat. Mortal Kombat and the rating system and things like that. I mean, right. kind of, um, at least from what I remember, uh, you know, this was always sort of the the holy grail of you know games that I want to play is you know besides Mario, I want something that's like you play as a monster or something like that. So well, and this uh, especially being in that era where I mean, I grew up as a Nintendo kid, yeah, and yeah, me too. You know, we we're all aware of what happened, you know, come like N64 and PlayStation era when mm-hmm. PlayStation's like, no, we're going to be the adult system and mm-hmm. Nintendo's still, you know, the kid friendly, family friendly. Mm-hmm. But it's like, this was proof that that was kind of starting to already happen. Oh yeah. Back in the late eighties, early nineties. And oh, yeah. I mean, we all know the Mortal Kombat blood code and things like that and mm-hmm. how it was so censored on the Nintendo systems. But yeah, definitely to see this game and think like, holy shit, like <laughs> this yeah. isn't appropriate, <laughs> right. but, I, but I want it. <laughs> well, you know, and it's weird too, because uh, back then, I mean, Nintendo and Sega just dominated everything. So it was, at least for me, it was very rare seeing a TurboGrafx anywhere, really. Uh, I can remember when the system came out, I remember playing it, playing Keith Courage at Children's Palace. Uh, you know, just Jeez. like one day when we were there, it's like they had a TV set up with Keith Courage playing. And it's like, oh, this is the Turbo Graphics, and I was like, well, this isn't quite like it's fun, but it's like graphically, it wasn't a huge step up from NES or whatever. But then I can remember um, at some point, it was probably uh, a few months later, maybe a year later, or something like that. We were at a mall in, uh, I think it was up in Fox Valley, like up near Chicago, and I remember they didn't. 
that mall, there was no game store at all in there. And I was looking for like a game store that had KB Toys or whatever. But I remember they had, there was like a, an electronics store in there. It was like, you know, kind of just sold like high-end TVs and fancy stereos and stuff. Kind of a uh, more ritzy kind of place. But I remember they had TurboGrafx for sale and they had Splatterhouse for sale. And I remember looking at both of them, like just thinking, wow, I wish I could get these. Obviously I couldn't, but, um, you know, it was just one of those things that I almost think like that store was probably thinking, okay, you know, Nintendo's too kitty. We're going to carry the mature system and it's going to be, you know, Splatterhouse and, and whatever. But uh, interestingly enough, I guess, uh, to get on like a TurboGrafx tangent a little bit, I can remember, you know, obviously reading EGM stuff like that. A lot of times in the magazines, they would publish like the um, company addresses, like in the back, you know, in the um, for more information, you know, contact the publisher, this and that. And I remember NEC had, a, I think it was a corporate office up in Schaumburg. And we would go occasionally, like my parents and my grandparents and myself, we'd occasionally go to like Woodfield Mall and stuff like that in Chicago. And I always remember as a kid riding up there thinking, oh man, I wish I could just walk into the NEC, you know, corporate office and just tell them like, man, I love video games. And they would just give me a TurboGrafx and Splatterhouse and whatever. I'm sure that's how that works. Yeah, obviously it didn't happen, but you know, it's like um, I don't know, like a 13 or 14 year old kid. You can just think, man, wouldn't this be great if this happened? And you know, obviously it never did. But uh, so I don't know. It was just that was my memories of this game are, are kind of tied to like you know really wanting a Turbo Graphics and wanting to play it, but knowing that had I made that decision, I probably wouldn't have been able to get a Super Nintendo. You know, so it was like, okay, what what do I choose? Do I take do I want the system that's out now or do I wait and see what else comes out? And then maybe right. come back to this later, which, you know, obviously later on I ended up getting a copy of Splatterhouse and a TurboGrafx and a um, Turbo Express and stuff like that. So, so I don't know. There, I have a lot of nostalgia for this game. Right on. You know, just based on, based on all that. So. so I would say let's start off and talk about uh, maybe some of the different versions of it because I know that there's several different releases, which you're going to be a lot more familiar than I am. Um, all I really know is the virtual console version, which is a direct port of the TurboGrafx-16. So yeah. uh, go ahead. I didn't and actually play the arcade version until uh, a few years ago up at the Galloping Ghost. Uh, they have the arcade version. And I don't know, I just, it was never, you know, it was never at Aladdin's Castle around here. I never saw it in an arcade. So I'm just more used to the turbo graphics when I guess, but mm -hmm. yeah. So there, there are some subtle differences, I guess, between the different versions of it. Um, obviously the arcade version having probably the most amount of um, animation and graphics. Um, obviously the home console versions probably had to cut some things here and there to make, you know, get certain memory requirements and stuff like that. But um, yeah, just looking up off the top of my head here, I know on the, um, the arcade version opens with uh a little bit more animation of the characters, uh, you know, running through a storm and, and running into the mansion. Right. Yeah, that's what I remember when I was a kid seeing that arcade one. I was like, I swear that they were like running through the rain. And mm -hmm. when I started playing this, I'm like, no, I must have remembered yeah. that wrong. <laughs> right. And it's weird too. Like, I mean, and we, I think we looked at it in uh, the Ghouls and Ghosts episode where the arcade Ghouls and Ghosts had a little bit more of an intro with the characters running and getting, you know, the princess getting kidnapped and stuff. Right. And that was cut out of the Genesis version. It's like the same kind of thing happened here almost where 
you know, to cut corners, they just kind of took bits and pieces out of the story and just kind of left the gameplay intact, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, uh, and just, I'm looking on Wikipedia here too on some of this stuff too, but uh, uh, some of the weapons were changed, I guess, um, throughout. Uh, in the home versions, the violence and gore is toned down, which, of course, it's kind of hard to tell because it's already say, hard to know, imagine that. Lots of monster guts floating up against the wall and, you know, things just barfing onto the floor. Um, it says the crawling hand in stage five no longer flashes the middle finger. I don't remember that, but um, that might be something that's really quick, I guess, that happens. Um, uh, death of the womb boss in stage six is changed from a graphic spilling of embryonic fluids into a generic fiery explosion. Yeah. Blue. <laughs> um, the end cutscene is changed from the original arcade ending in which the mask breaks from Rick's face followed by a shot of him walking away from the burning mansion and an additional cutscene showing the mask reform and laugh. And the turbo graphics one just shows the mask explode, followed by a picture of the mansion burning while the credits roll, which to me, I guess, like that's more of a dark ending, I oh, guess, yeah. you know, where like the arcade one's like kind of like, yeah, you kind of survived. And the, uh, the turbo one's kind of like really ambiguous, like, well, did he get out of there? I don't know. So, yeah, but I like the uh, mask reforming. That's mm, yeah. Uh, the, oh, the, the mask itself, obviously being uh, being white in the uh, arcade version, and then changed to red in the home version, probably to avoid uh, any sort of Jason Voorhees uh, influence. I guess. Yeah, and I mean that's one of the most notable things about this game is until oh, you yeah. have have played it or read the book or know the story or whatever. Like that's what you think is you think that this is uh-huh. like. Friday the 13th where you get to play the villain because yeah. that's exactly what he looks like. He's got mm-hmm. the like big blue coveralls and hulking muscles and right. hockey mask, like at hell meat cleaver at, you know, certain stages. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I do know that one of the differences that they did say was um, uh, the original game. The idea was that Rick was a serial killer mm-hmm. or, or a slasher killer chasing jennifer through the house and then at the last minute they decided to change it and make it so that they were you know boyfriend girlfriend and right the story's kind of funny if you read it in the instruction book that oh it's ridiculous i they're mean going, they're going to this mansion because it's the house of this doctor, doctor yeah parapsychologist uh-huh. and they're both students in that and the whole story is just a blatant reanimator ripoff pretty much yeah i mean it's just been like shoehorned in, but then you play it, and you think there's no way that you know they took that seriously. I mean, obviously that was just kind of thrown in there, but you know, there's no way that you could convince me that you know, good guy Rick is out to you know rescue his girlfriend and beat these monsters. No, you're a fucking you know killing machine, just going through this house, just blowing up everything. Right. Oh, yeah. He doesn't even seem that concerned when he gets to her in stage no. five. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm sorry, and maybe they just, you know, kind of retrofit it with the mask and whatnot, but, you know, no guy and his girlfriend go exploring a mansion with a guy wearing, you know, a, a coverall jumpsuit with the sleeves ripped off and being this hulking muscular dude. You can't tell me that that's not a serial killer. I, I don't know what kind of first dates you go on, but I mean, well, it's it, been a while. It got me married. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the story's hilarious. And- oh, just like I said, so clearly not what this game is. And I mean, even when they're like, all of a sudden the lights go out and it, let's see, I could, I've got it open right here. It says 
all went dark. Lightning cracked through the sky. There was a frantic scuffle, then a scream, and suddenly Jennifer was gone. Rick's unconscious body was covered with blood. Hours later, Rick awoke to a fantastic horror. He was alone, drenched in blood, and the most terrifying thing was that this that a hideous mask covered his face. Mm-hmm. So, no explanation as to what happens. He just no. wakes up, girlfriend's gone, and he's got a weird mask on. And right. the only way to get it off is to save her. Right. Uh, what? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's all. That's almost as crazy as a you know plumber from Brooklyn falling into a pipe to go rescue you know the fungus princess. But, right. <laughs> But without the hockey mask and the two by four. <laughs> exactly. Instead, he has magic mushrooms, but you know, whatever. Right. That, see, now you make me want to. I would like to see a Splatterhouse mod, but with Luigi as the main character. <laughs> come on, you can't tell me that Luigi is not a serial killer. Uh, be nice to Luigi. <laughs> he's always picked on, he always gets ignored. There's no way that those tendencies don't foster into some, you know, serial killer attitude some sort of latent resentment <laughs> right i don't know yeah but uh no uh, getting back on uh spiderhouse a little bit just looking at sort of the the history of namco and you know, the games that they produced this to me spiderhouse really seems to be markedly different from almost anything that uh that namco did uh you know obviously being famous for uh pac-man galaga galaxian uh, later on, you know, Ridge Racer, Tekken, um, you know, most of their games have always been pretty accessible, I guess, as far as, you know, a wide range of, of tastes and, um, you know, gameplay. But Splatterhouse seems to stand kind of on its own within their catalog of games as far as being this sort of brutal, bloody beat-em-up. Right. Just Which is something it- that they really do a lot of. Which is interesting, and I was kind of thinking about that because, coincidentally, uh, the day that this episode airs is the day that the Namco Museum is being released for the Switch. Right. Which, it's got, um, I think, like 10 games on it. And mm-hmm. as you're reading through that list, it's just like, yeah, okay, here's Pac-Man, here's Versus Pac-Man, I think mm-hmm. Dig Dug is on there, uh, yeah. Galaga, Sky Kid, and then Splatterhouse. Uh-huh. And I really want to know how many kids out there are going to buy this game you know go home and be like oh this is so cool you know pac-man and then wait what is this <laughs> right yeah i don't know that's and this has got to be one of the first times that at least on a, a namco compilation that they've they've given splatterhouse you know kind of a, another chance i mean obviously you've got the virtual console releases but most of their um, compilations over the years have always kind of played it safe with their early 80s stuff right so, do, you, do you have any idea which version is on that museum? Is it the arcade? arcade. Yeah, it's it the is arcade. the arcade. Oh, that's mm-hmm. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that might be worth picking up for that. Um, yeah, I know that it's gotten a couple other releases throughout the years too. There was, um, mm-hmm. well, I mean, not that long ago. Huh? I guess it's been a few years now. There was the uh, even an iPhone release mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. Um, in Japan only. It's for Windows. Um, so FM Towns Marty. Yeah, the FM Towns, right? Yeah. Um, more recently, I guess would have been, I think it was around 2010 when the, uh, the Splatterhouse remake came out on, uh, or reboot, I guess, came out on 360 and PS3 because it had all three of the original games as unlockable. Uh, yeah, I knew the, at least the first one was, I didn't know that there were yeah, two more and three hidden on there. Well. Oh, that's, that's kind of cool too then. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that this is one of those games that has some notoriety and 
I would hazard a guess that most, you know, hardcore retro gamers know about it, but mm -hmm. I don't know how many of them have legitimately played it. Um, this is definitely one that I would not have thought would be a, you know, standard fare for an episode of the show, especially not, you know, in the first 10, but, you know, That's why you, I wanted to throw a curveball in. <laughs> well, and when you suggested it and you said uh -huh. that, you had a lot of nostalgia for it. It's like, yeah, yeah that's, to that's totally cool. I love to get introduced to new stuff um, mm -hmm. that I'm not that familiar with, but. Uh, and I was, I was kind of itching to do a, a turbo graphics game for the show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I thought, well, this would be a good one to start with. Cause yeah, it really is. It's pretty well known. I mean, obviously there's a lot of titles on the system that I'm looking forward to covering, but this is just, I mean, this is a game that stands out to me as being, you know, sort of the pinnacle of, of games that were slightly out of reach to me as a kid. You know, but just thinking like, wow, you know, what what else could this game, you know, have in it? And then you play it and you get to stage, what is it, six, where you're, you're punching all the embryos and then you're like punching yeah. a heart. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I was I was doing a little bit of research trying to see, like, if some of that stuff made any sense whatsoever. Nope. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they've kind of retconned it a little bit and right. just said that, like, Okay, so Rick was out there trying to find Jennifer, and he does, and he saves her by, you know, killing her basically. Right. Yeah. At the end of stage five. So then he's like getting revenge on the house, and so stage uh -huh. six is him going through like basically the house's heart. Right. Um, and then destroys it. The house like burns to the ground, and so then stage seven, which I always thought was like him going through hell, mm -hmm. is basically it looks like. going through the burning ruins of. Right, the, the grounds, um, but yeah, it's it's such a such weird, a weird game. dude at the end. It's just, oh my god, yeah. it's just it's horrifying. Like oh, absolutely, there, there are so. I mean, let, let's talk about that too. And I think this is a perfect game for you and I both because we're both big horror fans. Mm -hmm. That it's like this game is terrifying. Yeah, and um, I think the soundtrack is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. It's it's very simple. Um, only has like you know a couple me melody lines that go through it, but it's just it's just enough to give you that chill. It's like the mm -hmm. in intro theme song to like Amityville Horror or The Omen, you know, just that. Yeah. Um, the the I don't know. I guess the uh, the dissonant tones of it are mm -hmm. almost slightly like grating, but yes. they like you know I don't know. There's something about the music that is kind of unsettling. Well, in some of the stages, it starts to pick up tempo as you go along. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's just a simple dun dun da da da, and uh -huh. then like it like goes up a half a you know key and goes faster, and it's just like mm -hmm. increases your heartbeat. It's a very psychological thing, but it works really right. well. Yeah, um, I think the combination of the music and the fact that um, you usually only have about five hit points, and you're not sure you know how far you can get before you die. Yeah, right, I think the music kind of adds to that tension as well. But yeah, and, and I mean, there's so many little traps and just things that mm. you know you're not expecting. Things Lots pop out, you know, things jump, and mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that, I mean, can we talk just a minute about some of the monsters that are in this damn thing? Because oh, absolutely, good lord, <laughs> right? I think that um, let's see, I'm trying to see if I can find a just list of what some of them are for here. I mean. It, it's pretty unrelenting from the beginning. I mean, mostly you've just got a few zombies here and there, mm -hmm. some weird things that they're like head flies off when you kill them. And then the head starts chasing you. Uh -huh. um, I think yeah, one of the most 
from the ceiling and then you hit them and then they just like the guts just spill out all over the place. Um, you hit the zombies with the two by four and they just splat against the wall. Oh, I love that. Like um, looking at that, I was like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I found the gif of that, of just him doing that over and over <laughs> and over. <laughs> yep. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, they, there's just some of them that just is so bizarre. The, <laughs> um, the, the leech rooms always, you know, just stick with me of just this uh-huh. background wall of leeches that continually jump out at you. Yeah. Um, you get to later stages and there's, uh, the, the death dogs like out in the forest in stage three, mm-hmm. which I didn't notice until this most recent time I played it, that if you killed one of the zombies and their guts are just laying on the ground, mm-hmm. the dogs will stop at it and lick it up. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> I mean, so brutal. So great, like gross. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, there's... and then uh, the stage three, the I think at that point, the boss, I think, what is it called? Like uh, the boogeyman or something like that? The guy that's got the chainsaws for the arms? Uh-huh. That's, I think, like the first kind of like unsettling boss. Almost. Right. You're like, what the fuck is this guy? You know, you've got like a shotgun at that point with six shots, and you empty all six of them, but you still have to hit him like three or four more times. So, yeah. And is there's the the other version of you that comes out of the windows in stage four mm-hmm. or, or the mirrors? Um, like four of them, I think. Yeah, going through that stage. There's just what is the giant, you know, blobulous fetus thing that just crawls along the floor at you? Like there's oh, only there's only one of them in the game, but that's all you need. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, obviously, then the the whole level, the tunnel of fetuses, the tunnel mm-hmm. of feed eye i don't i don't know that one yeah something like that yeah it's just so bizarre i mean if you right. if you ha- haven't played this game yet and you're a you like horror movies or anything that's just grotesque like oh there's there's so much here but mm-hmm. man right well, just be prepared for like i don't know it's like a, a mixture of like a, a lucio fulci film and like an argento where like nothing makes sense but everything's extremely gory yes so yeah, I don't. I don't even want to spoil what the last boss looks like. I mean, when right. when he he showed up, it's just like, oh, Jesus! <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's that's another thing, though. I think with this game sort of being, um, you know, on a slightly more powerful system, obviously you have a little bit more range as far as uh, the colors that can be displayed on the screen and the um, texturing and and the graphic detail of of the sprites. And I think that's one thing that this game does really well is that even like the main character of the sprites are, are huge. He's a big hulking character. A lot of the enemies are, um, you know, really detailed. The bosses are extremely detailed and colorful. And it's just, I don't know. I think it adds to that sort of mystery as to, um, you know, the, the level of imagination, I think that uh, the designers had when they were coming up with this game. You, know? you don't see a lot of repeated, as far as the bosses, you don't see a lot of, you know, repeats. Uh, no. No, definitely not. And I mean, to that note too, this is a really short game. Yeah. Um, it's seven stages, but each one is very, very tiny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say stage five might be the longest, and that's only because there are so many different paths that you can take. Right. Um, but ultimately, like none of these stages take very long. I mean, a good half hour, and you could play through this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's one of the things I like about this game, though, is once you get it down, you know, 25, 30 minutes, you can just breeze through it and you're done. Mm-hmm. great for, um, for a pickup and play and speaking of stage five i think that that's another you know great thing about this is that because there are so many different paths through that mm-hmm. it 
really kind of allows for everybody who has a different play style to you know play it differently right um give you variety each time you do go through but uh mm. yeah there's, there's lots of different paths and each one has a different challenge to it so i mean i have my favorite path through the level but i'm mm. sure yours is different than mine even so right i i always tended to take the lower paths through the water because i thought i found them to be easier than the the one up top where you're um there's the ghosts that are floating above you and they're dropping skulls and occasionally yes. something comes out from the paintings. That's funny. Cause I'm the exact opposite. I take the huh. highest, highest road I can. Interesting. Okay. I go the lowest. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't know. I, I think the whole game has a lot to offer. Um, there's a couple little secrets built into it. If you want some variety, uh, there is a sound test that you can unlock by hitting select three times, then down and left pressing the button two. Uh, you can also, at that point, hit select and go between a sound test and the stage select. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to just jump straight to, you know, level six, level seven, whatever, like that option is in there. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a difficult mode that you can unlock just by hitting select at the title screen. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, if you want a little bit more challenge, I think it's got plenty of it on its own. Yeah, with, and with all- at least speaking from the playing the turbo graphics one. They only give you, I think, like nine credits, which is still more than enough to beat the game. But uh, I like the fact that you do have a limited amount of uh, credits available. Even though the game is short, uh, it's one that as you play through it a little bit more and more, you start to memorize where things are going to appear and the best strategies for taking out the bosses. Right. Uh, so it's completely doable to get through the game on a couple of credits. You know, right. but it, yeah. it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm just going to sit down and play through this with unlimited credits and then just be done with it. Right. So. Yeah, I think it, it, each each continue you get three lives, and I forget like there might be four continues total or something. Yeah. At least at least in the version I had. Um, okay. I think I was just playing the turbo one. I think it was nine, but I don't yeah, know. Nine, nine continues. I think so. Yeah. No, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you could earn extra lives, like at 30,000 points, you get another yeah. life and that's not that difficult to do. So, or as they're just referred to in the manual, they're referred to as Ricks, which is funny. I was, I was reading through this. Um, and I still have it pulled up here, but it says that Splatterhouse is based on the damage system. You start the game with three Ricks. Each Rick has five <laughs> hearts. If you lose all your hearts, one Rick will disappear. If you lose all your Ricks, the game is over. <laughs> Maybe just because I've watched a lot of Rick and Morty, but I just had a laugh at the way that that uh, is. Obta- obtaining extra Ricks. Yes. Right. Like there's just all these Ricks just lined up. There's waiting to take their phone. <laughs> I don't know. It's just kind of funny. Yeah, like, the, the, the Rick and Morty connection there is. Yeah. That makes that perfect. I mean, this was an arcade game at the time. I mean, we were used to the concept of lives. You know what I mean? But I don't know. Of course, I guess there are always those people that are like, oh, I have three Marios left or whatever. Right. Three, three men. Yeah, three men. Yeah. Nowadays, that's sexist. <laughs> or, you know, you'd have the one psychopath that would refer to him as Mario. Yeah. yeah. I have that friend. Yeah. We don't talk much. Mm. <laughs> you should just walk away. <laughs> no, I don't um, all right. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I really enjoy this game. I, I still um, pop it in and play it every probably six, eight months, something like that. Just Okay. Yeah, that's... I'll just get kind of an itch to, um, you know, just kind of run through it real quick. So. Yeah. Anytime my nerves are kind of like calm, I feel like that's a good time to play Splatterhouse because that'll, you know, just heighten them right back up. Right. <laughs> you know, it's funny is, um, I don't know, it's been, I'm 
maybe a year or two or whatever, but uh, I was hanging out with a buddy and uh, another one of my friends came over. We were hanging out one night and he's like, oh, check out what I, what I brought. And he brought his, uh, he brought an actual Turbo Graphics. Uh, this is before I got my uh, duo recently, but uh, he's like, yeah, my uncle had this Turbo Graphics. It was in the box and whatever. So like he brought it over and we unboxed it and um, had Splatterhouse and a couple other games. And like we just sat down, had a couple of beers and played through Splatterhouse. It was great. So I think it's a game that really just, you know, you can just dive right in and, and enjoy and be good with it. And I think it is a hidden gem that's, you know, starting to get another resurgence. So if mm-hmm. if it's something you don't know about or are not that familiar, you know, luckily, you know, it's it's becoming available even if you don't have yeah. a turbo graphics. Like we said, it's for the Wii Virtual Console. I think it's is it on the Wii U also? Not yet, but they're just starting to trickle um, turbo games onto there. Okay, and then yeah, like we said, it's available for the Switch right. as of now. So yeah, um, no, I don't know. It's it's cool that um, a lot of these turbo games are getting getting re released in places because it's kind of a it's just a weird history in general as far as you know, like NEC distributed it first, and then um, uh, more recently than when they went out of business. I think Konami took over a lot of their IPs, but didn't really do anything with them. But now, like they're slowly starting to, you know, re-release them digitally um, on different consoles and stuff, which is cool because I'm I'm a huge fan of the Turbo. Like even now, it's it's probably one of my most played retro consoles. But the problem is, from a collecting standpoint, the prices of the games are absolutely ridiculous. I mean, you're talking like a lot of damn money for it. So it's not really something that's in the range of a lot of people going out and collecting, but these are games that they're not really that well known. And I mean, if you grew up with Nintendo or Sega, you probably didn't pay a lot of attention to NEC or, uh, you know, what the, what the turbo was doing. So I think it's great that there's a sort of a, a second wind almost, like you said, of, of these games getting re-released for other people to check out. Right. Right. All right, so any other uh, things you want to bring up about this before we jump into a couple tips and tricks this week? Uh, Not really. I can't really think of anything else um, except for, you know, the the womb stage is still uh, (laughs) messed up. I was trying to think if there's anything else that comes close to that, and I think, I don't remember which one it is, but uh, one of the Darkstalkers games, the final level, like when you fight the final boss, I remember that being like in front of this, like in the background of the stage, there's like a baby in this womb and it's like this weird demon baby thing. And as you're fighting the the final boss, like it's getting, you know, bigger and like the eyes are opening and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's, um, you don't see a lot of this fucked up shit anymore, at least in games. No, there was, there was a little bit. I, f- I feel like there were a couple stages. Maybe Binding of Isaac. I mean, that's pretty close, I guess, but. I could think of a couple stages in um, Zombies Ate My Neighbors that, oh yeah, even though that had a very you know lighthearted comic tone to it, mm-hmm. like seeing the giant baby doll go tearing through the mall, like uh, that still kind of screws me up. Um, right, right. Or the ch- the chainsaw guys, you know that that sound of that chainsaw revving up in Zombies Ate My Neighbors still like uh-huh. makes my heart jump. <laughs> yeah, and I, I guess Dead Rising, Dead Rising Two, but they were a little bit more tongue-in-cheek and comical i guess but i still think that uh the image of mr big from narc you know is uh pretty horrifying yeah okay i'll give you that that was around the same time frame oh so, yeah was, was kind of fucked up in a yeah. lot of ways 
weird that this drug lord crime boss is just this giant motorized head. <laughs> just uh-huh. like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, just the fact that you're, uh, you try to bust a, a, you know, a crackhead and he walks away from you. So you just hit him with a rocket launcher and you see limbs flying down. So. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Say that for the narc episode, I guess. But that's, <laughs> uh, one last thing about narc, though. If you've been to the Galloping Ghosts, they have the original Mr. Big painting in the arcade up there. Oh, nice. It's pretty sweet. Like, it's just sitting up on a wall. Yeah, the um, 8-bit arcade in uh, Bloomington has NARC, the arcade. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. I have to get over there. Yeah, it's pretty fun. All right, let's do this then. Tips and tricks. Um, so most of the tips and tricks that I came up with this time, are I decided to center them more toward the boss fights. Because uh-huh. for the most part, the stages are pretty self-explanatory and straightforward. Like we said, they're they're short. Um, you're really only dealing with maybe one enemy at a time. It's just kind of take your time and uh, yeah. deal with them as they come. But nothing should give you too big of a problem throughout the stages. But some of these right. bosses can be a little bit tough. So there's uh, just a handful of them. I thought I'd walk through some of the highlights. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting right off of the bat, the first stage... The boss is the giant leech pit. Uh-huh. Um, the best Which thing. Reminds I, me a lot of the movie Slither now. But, yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, you know, after seeing Slither, it's kind of similar. Uh, the the thing that I found works incredibly well against this boss is just stand completely against the left wall, backed up to it. Really. And if you just you know constantly punch, the they're basically either going to come from one of two spots, either immediately in front of you, so mm-hmm. you're you're going to be able to kill them before they even pop out. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to come out on the far right-hand wall, and they're either going to just like slink to the floor and crawl towards you to where you can just kick them, or if they fly at you, you've got plenty of time to you know time whether you need to punch or kick and hit them as they come. But nothing's going to come from behind you. You can get basically every one of them without getting hit. Um, I always crouch right in front of the fireplace, and I just kind of you know just sweep left and right with low kicks. Yeah, and you want to be, and then I get over to the left underneath the body. Yeah, be careful then. Obviously, at the very end, because there's that one little surprise of uh-huh. you've killed them all, and <laughs> music gets slow, and then one still comes out at you. And uh, yeah, if it's be be aware of that one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's second boss is the what I think is probably the most fun boss in the game is the yeah. the poltergeist room, the haunted room. Yeah. Um, Basically, objects just start falling from the ceiling. Just watch closely where there's the the little light. Uh, again, I find that once everything has fallen, then back yourself up against the left wall again, mm-hmm. and you're going to have three different objects that come flying at you. The first is um, the chair, which mm-hmm. you can, as soon as it gets close to you, if you do a jump kick, you'll you'll hit it every time. Yeah. Um, the knives, you just kind of have to watch really close because they're they're going to come flying at you and they're either going to be at chest level where you can punch them or mm. they might come at your feet. So be sure to duck and kick, yeah. but um, take the knives out and then the picture starts coming. And again, just kind of jump kicks at it and you can take it out pretty quick. Mm. Uh, and again, watch out because there's always that last little stinger uh-huh. and the chandelier is going to fall after you killed it. So don't, uh, don't, don't do like I did the first time okay. I played it and get crushed by a chandelier and then get right. pissed, off, pissed off and want to destroy your console. Yeah. See, it's funny, again, I like going through the tips and tricks because, you know, the way that you've done it and the way you talk about it is completely different from how I did it. Yeah. It's interesting. So, like, uh, like for me on this level, um, you know, obviously the chair is pretty easy because you can just kind of punch it 
And then from there, I move over to like the right hand side of the screen. So as the knives are coming, you know, you've got two in the in the corners, and they kind of go uh, down diagonally to the opposite corner. So I'll stand on the right, and I'll punch the the knife that comes from the left. And by then, the right-hand side one comes up. So you can just stand there and kind of just punch both of them. Uh, so you don't have to move up a lot. But then the painting, I, I move slightly to the left underneath. I think there's a window there. Yeah. So I'll punch the painting, and then it'll swoop around and try to come down. So then you crouch, and it goes right over your head, and you can stand up and punch it again. So you can get it in kind of this loop almost hmm. uh, from there. And then obviously just kind of kind of stand there and wait for the chandelier to fall. Right. Uh, stage three is one of the toughest bosses. Oh, yes. Yeah. The big chainsaw arm guy. Mm. Uh, but I found a trick that allows you to kill him without getting touched. Really? Um, yep. Okay. So this is the stage where you find the shotgun. Mm-hmm. Now, there's actually two of the two shotguns in the stage, one at the very beginning, one at the end, right before the boss. Right. Uh, each one has eight bullets in it. Um, what you have to do is at the beginning of the stage, pick up the shotgun. Mm-hmm. Now, as you progress through the level, don't use it. Hmm. If you duck, when you attack, you'll kick instead of shoot. Oh so, yeah. Okay. So you, so you still get to attack and you just won't waste the bullets. Mm-hmm. There's only, there's only two enemies that are going to come at you. Uh, the little dogs and the zombies, you can hit mm-hmm. both of them by kicking them. Um, they take two kicks each, so be aware of that. And then when you get to the bridge, be very careful because those little water pools that move back and forth, you don't want to fall in because if you do, you'll lose your gun. Right. Um, so jump over those. When you get then get a little bit further, you go past the spike pits. Uh, you can drop the gun long enough to pick up the rocks that are there. Mm-hmm. Throw those at the, you know, the bodies that are hanging that spit the acid at you pick up your gun again, keep moving, kicking as you go. Now, where this gets tricky is the second gun is just before the boss. Mm-hmm. Now, if you keep moving forward and trigger the boss fight, the second gun will be too far off the left side of the screen to be able to go get it. Okay. So what you do is you walk up to the gun and just walk like a couple steps past center, mm-hmm. crouch down to pick it up. When you do, you'll drop the gun you're holding. Only you'll drop it a couple steps in front of the one you just picked up. Sure. Take a couple steps forward, swap them again. A couple steps Keep forward, swap them again. Up. Yeah. Keep doing that until the boss fight triggers. Shoot him eight times with all eight bullets. Uh-huh. Pick up the other gun. Two or three more bullets will finish him off. Wow. Never knew that. Yep. So you never always... have to... The timing of hitting him is very difficult if you're trying right. to punch and kick. Uh, he's got a long reach and he's very erratic, so this way you can just stay on the left side, shoot him, and you've got plenty of bullets. Even mm-hmm. if you even if you miss once or twice, it only takes I think ten shots yeah. to get him, and you've got sixteen to work with. So that's interesting because again, like I always use the first gun, you know, right away because it's just so much fun to just blow away zombies with a shotgun, but. Um, the when I get to the boss, like I'll empty all the other shots into it, but then I still need like four hits or so. Right. So what I try to do is I do that. I try to do that weird slide kick. You know, the one that's like not because like you jump up and then it's down and attack like right before you hit the ground. So what I'll do is I'll try to um, to bait him a little bit, and then if I'm out of range, I'll try to jump up and then try to slide kick because if you slide kick through him, um, you'll do like two or three hits as you're passing through him and you're invincible while you're doing it hmm. hit 
as you're coming out of it. So really it's only advisable to do that if you've got two or three health that you can afford to lose one or two. But right. Usually yeah. spam him with that by then he's dead. So. Yeah, and it sucks if you use my method and you screw up and die. Right. Because then you're halfway through the stage and you can't go back and get that first gun. So Right. And it's yeah, this is kind of a kind of a the first sort of um difficult test of this game, I think, really, because uh, there are several enemies that, you know, you just don't have the range that they do. And right. obviously, the guy with chainsaw arms is going to be able to reach you a little bit more than just your punches and kicks will reach him. So Right. Uh, in stage four, the boss is the big, giant, floating mass of heads. Mm-hmm. Um, there's oh, not... The upside-down cross in the... Uh, in the Japanese version, yeah. Yeah, we mentioned that one, the arcade one. But, um... I don't have a whole lot of tips here other than the room that the boss is in is this really long hallway. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you're going through, heads are kind of flying at you, and it's tempting to stop and kind of fight them all off. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's best once you get in the room to just make a beeline all the way to the far right-hand side of the room so you can trigger the actual fight. Uh, right. Pick up pick up the cleaver when you get there, but basically don't waste time fighting the heads unless they come you know, straight at you and you have to. Right. Um, once you're in the room, I found that it's a little bit easier to position yourself so that as he kind of bounces back and forth from the right to the left, mm-hmm. um, if you kind of stand ready for him when he hits the left side, mm-hmm. you get you get a little bit better preparation time for the heads that are going to come flying across the screen at you. Yeah. But it, it's it's really just a matter of you know take your time, watch the heads that are coming, see if they're going to come you know at your chest or you know down at your legs. Or some of them you might have to jump at, or you can just duck under them and just you know take keep whacking at the guy with when you with the cleaver when he comes by you. But uh, yeah, I would say that's about what I do on that one. Right. There's not a whole lot special that you can do there. Um, and then the only other boss that I really had any tips for is at stage five, which is when you're fighting Jennifer. Mm-hmm. Um, she transforms into this big hideous, you mm-hmm. know, Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde type monster, right. uh, who the first two times you fight her, she will probably just waste you. Um, Mm -hmm. But there's a, there's a very predictable pattern that she has. Uh And once you get used to that, she's actually very easy. Right. Uh, She's basically going to jump. And as soon as she lands, she shoots this big spike arm straight out at you, uh, which you can jump over. Mm -hmm. So what I do is like, as she's kind of jumping toward me, if uh, I'll try to hit her, when she's in, you know, midair, mm-hmm. uh, if I can't just be prepared that if she lands and you haven't hit her yet, she's about to spike you. So be ready to jump. Right. Um, and then likewise, if you can hit her, she kind of jumps, you know, a- as you hit her, she goes flying back. But as soon as she lands, she's going to throw that spike arm out as well. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of this repeat pattern of she jumps at you, you, you kick her in the air, she falls back, jump her spike, you know, and just keep repeating that. Um, yeah. Be prepared for the fact that, you know, you'll think you won because she kind of converts back. Mm-hmm. And then a couple seconds later, she turns back into the monster and comes at you. Right. That that fake out happens twice. Right. Um, yeah, you don't and, expect to fight this boss three different times. Right. And, uh, you know, the, the first time that I beat it, too, I was thinking to myself, like, I must be doing something wrong mm-hmm. because she keeps turning back into this monster. So mm-hmm. I I was, like, running up, like, while she was in Jennifer form and like trying to stand on top of her and like hit her or punch her or do something, you know, hit mm-hmm. all the buttons thinking I'm doing something wrong. And finally learned it's just, it takes a lot of patience and you'll eventually get it. But yeah, don't, 
don't be fooled. You're not screwing up. It it does work. <laughs> yeah, it's about what I do. About the same thing. Really. Yeah, it's easy to get it in the pattern as it's jumping. You know, punch it as it's landing. Jump out of the way of the claw. Rinse and repeat, kind of thing. So, uh, and then yeah, beyond that, uh, stage six, the boss, like we said, is the big heart in the womb, um, which is kind of a contra ripoff. A I little think, bit, yep. You know, like I don't know, it seems very similar. Uh, the only advice I can give you here is just take it slow. Mm-hmm. Um, these fetuses come from everywhere, and if you don't take them out right when they land, they will start chasing after you, cling right. on to you, and do a lot of damage. Um, and even if they like go off of the screen, they will come back. So just right. you know, take each one as you go. Don't let any one of any one of them pass. Um, and don't be fooled by the stage either. Like I noticed this in a lot of this, uh, like hallway uh, levels that like kind of scroll with you. Mm-hmm. It doesn't force you to keep going. Like the, the screen no. is scrolling, but if you stop, it'll stop too. So right. I which think it's an, think that though, because no exactly an auto scrolling level. You think, Oh shit, I got to hurry. And I think it's one of those psychological things, just oh, like the, the music speeding up and, you know, changing key. I think it's the same thing. It forces you to think I got to go. Yeah. But you can thank Super Mario Brothers for that. I mean, exactly. You know? um, so, yeah, I think it's it's best to just, you know, slow down, get every one of them as you can. When you finally get to the boss, those things are still going to keep coming. Just, hmm. you know, don't Some don't be it. Don't be in too much of a hurry, you know, hit the heart when you can, but just take out the fetuses and yeah, I was going to say some of it, this is the one that's probably got the most amount of luck involved. It seems like, because um, the couple of times that I played over the last week, it's not, it seems like it, it doesn't always dispense the fetuses in the same fashion. And uh, I can't believe I would ever do a podcast where I was just saying dispense the fetuses, but uh, <laughs> right <laughs> for a metal band dispense the fetuses i don't know um but no it's uh it just depends you and i agree with you as far as like as having to kind of manage the amount of enemies on the screen i mean you really don't want to ignore them because the this boss takes enough hits that you're not just going to be able to tank your way through it and ignore the other enemies no uh and then yeah that brings us to stage seven which um yeah i don't really have a whole lot of advice here just kind of pay attention to the pattern um watch his movements uh he's got the the big hands which come up which can be jumped um Mm -hmm. but he every two or three cycles he kind of changes his pattern so it's really difficult to predict or know where to come i mean it's it's really just kind of a trial and error hit him as he you know is about to surface watch the boulders that are falling from the sky boulders are they like i always thought they were like ash flakes or something yeah something whatever's Falling down, you know, maybe they're coconuts. Right. Who knows? Um, huh. But yeah, avoid everything that's coming down from the sky, and just try to predict where the hands come in and jump out of the way as you can. But it's it's really just a, I mean, as as the last boss, as it should be, it's just kind of a trial of uh, mm. patience. Yeah, a little bit. It's and the last stage is so weird because it's completely different from you know the rest of the game because there's no there's no fighting until you get to the actual boss. But I mean, mm. the first part of the stage is you jumping over flaming logs and then there's these like fire guys that jump down and then jump away from you right so it's just a matter of kind of pacing yourself through the level and getting to the boss with hopefully with all of all five of your hit points uh because there's going to be a couple of times that you're going to get hit 
either by something that's falling out of the sky or sometimes it's kind of hard to judge when the hands come out to, to hit you. Right. It's kind of hard to judge when to jump. But, you know, if you stick to it, it's not too bad. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the level is an obstacle course, which yeah. is very weird compared to everything else you've seen so far. But right. jumping logs and avoiding fire demons. But, eh, you know, I don't know. That'd be something different, I guess. So yeah, what do we say? Overall, this is a recommend, I would say. I would recommend it, yeah. I mean, I, I it's again, it's a game that uh, I have a lot of uh, good memories of, at least of, of desiring this game. But uh, you know, I think it's, I think it's still enjoyable. You know, taken as it is for an arcade game, I don't feel that it's overly cheap or frustrating. Um, you know, I don't feel that it was designed to be sort of a quarter muncher at the time. I think that. It's a game that, you know, as you play through it, you'll learn it. You'll learn how to deal with um, with the enemies and stuff. And I think it's enjoyable um, to just, you know, like we said, sit down and, and play through it in a half an hour and uh, get a sense of satisfaction of clearing a game and moving on and doing what else you're going to do. So, No, you're right. And, I mean, this is very similar to uh, Ghouls and Ghosts in the term, or in the sense that it wasn't designed to just, you know, eat your quarters. Right, because each time you put one in, like you're backtracking, mm-hmm. you know, a, a pretty yeah, no checkpoints. I mean, it's... no. So it's it's not about oh, I put enough in and I can eventually beat it. It's you've got to have the skill to get through these stages right. and to get through the bosses. Um, I think the game more than anything is not so much about the challenge because you know two or three sit downs and playthroughs and you could probably master this. You know, mm-hmm. without yeah. too much difficulty. It's more about just the environment. It's about the atmosphere of it, and I think that this is an example of a game that just did so much with the capability of the engine. Yeah. Um, you know, we talk about other systems that you know, like Super Nintendo, using Mode Seven to like create you know illusions and effects that aren't actually there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is an example of one where it's like, as you see the you know monsters reaching out from cells in the background, or you know, just things that are kind of moving in three dimensions even though they're not really like it's it's mm-hmm. a game that is nothing more than a fun house of gimmicks yep but they're all great and they're yeah. perfect examples of like what this system could do so oh absolutely as yeah. a launch title and also just as a standout introduction to the turbo graphics 16 if you're not familiar with it like it's a it's a perfect game for that so mm-hmm. yeah if you've, got, if you've got the stomach for it it's mm-hmm. you know, one of the best games for the system you could play yeah I think so, and I I liked um, Splatterhouse Two as well on the Genesis. Um, I owned that one for quite a while, but I haven't played three. Uh, three, from what I understand, is is somewhat non-linear, uh, which is more of like you know you're exploring these rooms in the house, but you can kind of go um, in and out of them as you choose and things like that. But um, I haven't played the remake either, but I'm sure I'll get to that eventually. But I I do enjoy the first two games, but the first one for sure. Yeah. Alrighty, so if everybody uh, enjoyed this and has maybe some feedback for us or their memories of playing Splatterhouse for the first time, how how um how'd they get a hold of us there, Wes? Well, uh, there's several different ways. Obviously, um, you can check out our uh, page on Geek Nerdery um, where we host the show. Um, we've got lots of good stuff going on there, and lots of other shows on Geek Nerdery as well. So uh, from there, we've got a Facebook group. Um, Graveyard Duck podcast on there and uh, lots of good stuff going on there. Of course, on Twitter, um, we post fun stuff throughout the week. Um, and you can tweet us at Duck Graveyard. 
Um, or you can send us an email at graveyardduckpodcast at gmail.com as well. All righty. That sounds, uh, sounds like a lot of information, but, you know. It is. It is. But, you know, that's the, that's the world we live in these days. And you know, <laughs> some might say that uh, we don't have enough of a social media presence. But, uh, you know, I don't have an hour to sit here and tell you every single website where you can find us at. So. Yeah. Go to Geek Nerd or you can find us and a whole lot of other shows too. So there's right. we don't have a GeoCities page, you know, where there's no prodigy. My Angel oh. Fire account can't you right. know. Yeah. Although I did think, you know, if we were gonna make our own website, like that's the only way to do it for this show is having the Damn right. the flaming gif banners and the MIDI sounds. Uh -huh. like, I mean it Yeah, we could have a web ring of links. <laughs> Maybe one of these days. Maybe if somebody out there's a web designer, you know, from 30 years ago and right. uh, <laughs> hey if the space jam page is still up from 1996 then obviously we can do a, a retro looking website sure we've got hope yeah all righty well uh i think we've got a good episode planned for next episode our big mm -hmm. big 1-0 hitting yeah, double digits i didn't think we'd make it this far but here we are <laughs> yeah i got a good one planned for that so stay tuned mm -hmm. for that one yeah, i'm excited uh and until then i'm scott and i'm wes and just uh remember if you lose all your ricks the game is over game over